Hello, and welcome to the 404 Media Podcast, where we bring you unparalleled access to hidden worlds, both online and IRL. 404 Media is a journalist-founded company and needs your support. To subscribe, go to 404media.co. As well as our other bonus content, subscribers can hear us answer their questions in future podcasts. Ask us anything you want on podcast at 404media.co. I'm your host, Joseph, and with me are most of 404 Media co-founders, the first being Sam Cole. Hello. Emmanuel Mayberg. Hello. And Jason Kebler, unfortunately, has COVID. We salute him. He can't make it. But I absolutely want him to rest rather than coming on here and, you know, putting all the effort in when he really needs to sleep. So I imagine Jason will be back next week. <laughs> we pray. I, Im- I imagine, you know. <laughs> we'll see we'll see it's obviously very unfortunate um but to get to this week the first half we're going to talk about a couple of stories uh around the continuing israel-palestine conflict you know look obviously we're not war reporters right we're technology reporters and that's the frame of reference and the background that we come into this from but we think there's some stuff of particular value here because it touches on content moderation, open source intelligence, social media, all of that sort of stuff. All of this is now inextricably linked to conflicts, be that Ukraine, Russia, or here, Israel, Palestine. So the first one, this is from Sam. Instagram is... (laughs) Sorry, I almost laughed at the the quote in the headline. That's why I'll read it straight. Instagram sincerely apologizes for inserting terrorists into Palestinian biotranslations. Um, Sam, what was happening here exactly? What, why is this translation error? Yeah, the headline is so absurd because it's just a ridiculous thing. Like, Instagram is very sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh, right, right, and then explained for, no for further. Wading into a conflict, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, so stupid. Big oops. Um, yeah. So basically, I mean, I just to walk you through how um, I came across this personally um, last week. I saw a TikTok where someone was talking about their friend who's Palestinian had in their Instagram bio. Um, their bio said Palestinian, and then the Palestine uh, Palestinian flag emoji. And then Arabic script, which said Alhamdulillah, which is a statement of like praise. It means like praise be to God or praise to Allah. Um, And when you hit the little C translation button that Instagram puts in bios, um, it translated that entire phrase to including the emoji and everything. It said, praise be to God, Palestinian terrorists are fighting for their freedom, which is obviously horrifying um that's not at all what it said that's a really um you know islamophobic and racist thing to put in someone's bio automatically (laughs) um so yeah that was that was where i came into the story is this this person on tiktok saying you know can we get meta's attention on this because this is obviously really fucked up yeah Um, and we'll we'll get to We'll get to Meta's reaction in a second, but just to clarify for listeners, this was not a manual translation, you know, done by somebody in a content moderation center for a contractor or whatever. This was a purely automatic translation in that you go to the video, it um, it says C translation, you hit that button, and it just provides almost like a Google Translate, even though 
we're specifically not talking about Google, it's that sort of yeah. system, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And there's been a lot of like, I mean, and I'm reading about this, um, some of the theories that are going on around, you know, around this today, but um, a lot of people are saying, you know, this is, this happened manually. Like someone injected this in, someone programmed this in, someone hard coded the word terrorist to be next to Palestinian. Um, there were people talking about like disgruntled employees. And these are all like theories that are happening on Twitter, which is, you know, like obviously known for being deeply anti-Semitic in general. Um, so, you know, people are forced to make their own jumps and assumptions and in some cases borderline conspiracies because meta won't say how it happened um and you know we we have our own kind of theories just based on the way we know these systems work but um people are really confused and really disturbed because of the way uh, just some really horrific things have been spreading around on these social media platforms during the conflict yeah. Well, what did Meta say when you contacted them? Yeah. So I said, you know, I was like, here's this thing. Um, are you aware of it? And um, how did it happen? And they replied with a statement. They said, we fixed a problem that briefly caused inappropriate Arabic translations in some of our products. We sincerely apologize that this happened. Which in okay. that statement, they don't even say what happened. Um, yes, they leave that to you and, yeah. and to everybody else. And they exactly. also, as you alluded to earlier, they don't explain actually what happened. They just say there was some sort of error that led to these inappropriate translations. So at least mm -hmm. they're acknowledging that. But they don't say whether it was, you know, their biased data set or yeah. something in the translation. I don't know, for lack of a better word, system or algorithm itself. Uh, they, yeah. they didn't explain that. Yeah, we know that these are automatically generated, like you said. Uh, Instagram has been talking about its own like generation translation generation um, models for a while. Uh, we also know that there's a lot of gaps in understanding about different languages. So the models are not very good when it comes to any language other than English, and especially with the Arabic. Uh, I think they have a lot of they've been proven to have quite a bit of gaps in knowledge of how those translations work and whether they're accurate or not um which is obviously its own bias problem um to leave out a huge swath of your user base uh, is obviously really problematic so um we can make inferences i mean i don't want to say for sure what happened we're going to write a story about what researchers think happened today mm -hmm. which is you know this these these models are basically hallucinating what you know what's going on you know they they see a lot of content on meta that talks about palestinians being terrorists which is a whole other problem <laughs> but very much related and then the ai kind of puts these these words together because it's been trained on what other people are doing on the platform and it's like oh well that must go here because these words are close to each other all the time on this platform um which again very fucked up that that's even content that's not getting moderated appropriately but there are a lot of theories and, about what happened. We may never know what happened for sure. I'm sure Meta will never cop to what exactly happened. Yes, can I can I wonder about this out loud for a second? Sure. Yeah. Um, to our readers who might not know this, but we certainly have experienced this. The more professionalized a PR team is, the more adept they are at answering a question without providing any information. 
And this is the response that we've seen from Meta. And I am not in PR and I don't get that kind of training and I don't think about that kind of strategy. This is not my problem. But I really have to wonder what they gain here other than wishing that the story goes away, which it will not because we will keep chasing it. But it seems like, you know, and we don't know, we just have no way of knowing right now what, what happened. But let's say that as some people speculate, and I, I want to emphasize, we have no indication that this is the case, but some people are indicating, some people are speculating that somebody at Meta internally made this happen intentionally, right? And if that was the case, Meta could come out and say, hey, somebody sabotaged our system that doesn't work this way. And we took care of it immediately and fixed it. And it doesn't represent the company and blah, 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 blah. Like that seems to me like a good PR spin. And if it was an automated malfunction, if it was some sort of automated translation system at Meta that messed up, they could also say, hey, an automated system malfunctioned. We think our automated systems overall provide a lot of value, which, you know, we all use Google Translate. It does. You know what I mean? It's 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 a useful automated system that we all use regularly. Um, and we found the error and we fixed it and we apologize. That also seems like a good way to just like end the discussion. But it's like the strategy that they have chosen is something bad happened. We will not tell you anything about how this happened and let theories run rampant about what went wrong here, like this very bad thing that happened and kind of give room for people to speculate in a time when all they're doing is like speculating wildly about what is happening around this conflict um, and people in different institutions supporting the conflict from, from, from or different actors in the conflict from different directions. And it just seems like a bad choice to me is, is all, all I wanted to say. Yeah. Hoping it goes away for a company like Meta does not work. It's <laughs> and they've been hoping that this problem goes away for a long time. Like I said, like they've they've had these problems with the models for a long time. And now it's blowing up in their faces in a bigger way than ever. It's like, okay, you know, it would be like you said, it would be very easy for them to say anything at all other than oops. <laughs> um i i mean i kind of think maybe they don't know either how there isn't probably an easy fix like it's not just like we excise the problem out of the data set or we fire a guy it's probably much more widespread than they can even address because that's the way these models work um it's probably across all of their you know every platform that meta owns um yeah i don't know it'll be interesting to see if they respond to the next stories that we have lined up about this so yeah, I mean, it's just crazy that the end result is that we have to go speak to researchers who then have to make sort of informed opinions about what happened. Like, they don't know, yeah. right? But, like, there's this massive tech company, literally one of the biggest tech companies in the world, and they could just acknowledge their mistake, but they, they don't do that. I mean, just very, very briefly, I think you looked at what other platforms do when it comes to translation like uh, if i if i read it correctly you didn't speak to these platforms but i think you like did translations yeah. through chat gpt what, what did you find there yeah i mean we just wanted to test like because meta won't say you know what's going on we wanted to make sure like they weren't pulling from some other model that's also making the same mistake so we did like i think we did google translate and chat gpt and we did the uh alhamdulillah phrase in 
Um, I think we did it in script uh, in those systems to see if it would translate correctly. And it did. It was fine. Um, But at the same time, it's like the problem here was the placing of the word Palestinian and the emoji and the script all together so that it would force it to translate. And then ran out this very, you know, wrong phrase altogether. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of just like it's, like playing with it on the front end to figure out what's going on that users are doing right now. Yeah, almost like the people trying to jailbreak ChatGPT in a way. Now we're yeah. just trying to figure out why one of the world's biggest social networks is calling Palestinians terrorists. Right. Uh, well, yeah. I, well, I look forward to the uh, the follow up piece on that. I think you said coming soon. Let's mm-hmm. um, move on to the the next one. This one's from me and Emmanuel. It's uh, the headline is verified OSINT accounts are destroying the Israel-Palestine information ecosystem. Emmanuel, we had a meeting at the start of this conflict, that's what, a week, week and a half ago now, maybe a little bit more. Um, And we were discussing what the areas of coverage that we could contribute to, again, not being war correspondents, you know, not being on the ground, but having a lot of knowledge about the technology around conflict, um, which led to this piece, right? Um, before we get into the story, what, what was sort of the original idea, or maybe even like the original hypothesis? I'm having a little bit of trouble remembering what the original pitch was, but it seemed pretty close to what we ended up doing, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we woke up that day and we realized that for you know, to, to better serve our audience and just to speak practically, it's the only thing that people care about at the moment is this conflict for good reason. Um, and we wanted to um, cover it in a responsible way and in an additive way. And as you say, we're not war correspondents and we're not on the ground. Not many people on the, are on the ground in Gaza because it is so dangerous. Literally, journalists are dying trying to cover this conflict. Um, but we are following the story as many people are online, um, which is where our expertise is and where we're, uh, embedded as reporters. And the thing that was really blowing up that day was the use of open source intelligence to try and attribute, uh, blame to this uh, bombing of a hospital in Gaza. And what I think it brought to the forefront is something that's been brewing for a long time and I think has been brewing, uh, uh, has been really boiling, is uh, the use of open source intelligence in the war in Ukraine and now in uh, Gaza and how what used to be a very useful practice that a few journalists and researchers used has now kind of blown up and become this game uh, that people play online. Yeah, exactly. So what we did was I then reached out to some of the OSINT people I know, the open source intelligence people I know. And I guess just before we go on, I, I should define what that that is. You know, OSINT is when you're a researcher or a journalist or, you know, just an ordinary person, totally fine. You go and you gather information that's openly available. So that could be a Facebook post. It could be a Twitter feed. It could be 
Telegram. Uh, that's like the social media side. Then you have stuff more like satellite imagery, and especially how those images show change over time. You know, hey, there was a crater here. Uh, although there wasn't a crater here and now there is and we can show the explosion whatever that sort of thing um and then sort of on the much higher end you have people who do basically forensic analysis of like this is how a bullet would have like moved for a wall or something like that and that's almost going into well it is going into a science sort of thing and we're not really talking about that end we're talking more about let's look at these images and Maybe I can see, oh, the missile was here, or there's an Israeli helicopter here, or whatever it is, you know, which a lot, as the story shows, turns out to be, quite frankly, bullshit. So I approached a bunch of OSINT people I've known for years, I've respected for a long time, and their information has been very, very useful. There's, you know, people like Bellingcat, who actually Elliot Higgins was too busy to get back to me, but I've known him for a very long time. There's then people like Caliber. Uh, Obscura, who's a weapons specialist, especially on like uh, firearms and small arms, that sort of thing. Um, there was another one in there who's like a geolocation wizard. I mean, everybody knows the GeoGuessr guy now, right? But like, these are the OGs of like finding here's where a horrible ISIS attack took place or something. So they've been doing it for a really, really long time. And I ask them, um, like, do you think something is different now on Twitter? Because when we're scrolling through, anecdotally, 404 Media's own experience, it it seems to be like a stereotypical account, account will be a guy in a suit as his profile picture, a verified tick, which obviously you've paid Twitter for, and then, you know, maybe he's put OSINT in there, or his post is OSINT, uh, or whatever. And it just reads like gobbledygook. Like, what the hell are you going on about there doesn't seem to be any sort of expertise here and the people who were able to get back to me replied very very quickly including some of those i mentioned and all of them had a resound the resounding sentiment that twitter is just not the osint ecosystem it used to be whereas before it was a small group of dedicated people who would you know, each had their own expertise and they were governed by trying to find out what actually happened. And that's not to say, you know, I'm sure there were people who had different motivations, you know, maybe state aligned or their own biases, whatever. But Ray, generally speaking, it was pretty damn good a few years ago. Now, especially with the changes around Twitter that Elon Musk has introduced, especially with engagement and monetization, where if you're a verified user and you get more engagement from other verified users, you can create revenue. You can make thousands of dollars, potentially. Their opinion, the experts I spoke to, is like, that is now the driving force behind OSINT on Twitter. And that's how we end up with these OSINT accounts that come out of nowhere, don't really have any expertise, and are just like mouthing off about this conflict and i'm sure when the next conflict comes around i don't know you know if china invades taiwan but god forbid god forbid but, you know when there when there is another conflict i'm like 90 percent sure these people are going to jump on it uh as well um emmanuel what did you think of what the um osint people told me because you basically had the hypothesis for this piece i went out and they confirmed it all immediately i mean what, what did you think of their responses i mean it's it's what i expected 
and it's depressing. And I think, Joe, it's like you said, oh, how is this going to look in the next conflict? And I think you raise a good point about all of this creating more noise. But I kind of worry about, um, and I think this is starting to happen now, like Ostinth is really a useful tool. It's it's not the, the end-all be-all. Uh, like I said, it's very important to have people on the ground. Like we're not going to have... Um, the kind of confirmation we want about this hospital bombing until people are on the ground and they're able to do forensics on the ground and all that. Um, but Austin is useful. And I worry and I wonder if the next time there's a conflict, people will just dismiss it all, right? It's just like this tool that used to provide some value, this method that used to provide some value for people. People are just going to see, you know, those images with the colored boxes that are trying to geolocate something. And it'll be like, oh, that's Austin. That's bullshit, right? Because there's a hundred accounts with Austin in the username and they're all spreading misinformation. So I'm not going to listen to any of them and people are not going to listen to legitimately uh, curious and rigorous analysts at, or uh, open source researchers at Bellingcat and dismiss them because they're using a practice that's been cheapened by this economy on Twitter of people uh, doing open source intelligence. Yeah. That's a really fascinating point, I think, to end this section on and something I hadn't really thought about in that it's going to undermine the entire sector of OSINT for the um, for coming conflicts as well. All right, I'll leave this here and play us out for the break. But when we come back, uh, we'll talk about a $30 million Bitcoin laundering uh, money laundering ring that was right in the heart of uh, New York. We'll be right back after this. And we're back. As mentioned, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin and cash and money laundering and New York and delis, I think, come up in there as well. The headline of this story, uh, written by me, is inside a 30 million, well, I was going to say dollar. Let me do that again. Inside a 30 million dollar cash for Bitcoin laundering ring in the heart of New York. That's quite a long one. Okay. Maybe that wasn't my best headline. Usually I'm pretty good. but that, that, <laughs> You wrote it, Joe. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but like, you, usually, usually they're like, there's a pun in there or there's something good. You're usually like, like, fuck yeah, I wrote that. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, having a having an off week, uh, I guess. Um, before we go into it, I'll say that this was produced in collaboration with Court Watch, which is an independent um, newsletter slash media outlet run by um, Seamus Hughes, and he goes through and he digs up court records that people overlook. He's basically the Wizard of Pacer, which is uh, the U.S. court record system. So he found it shared it um with us and i then obviously took my expertise on organized crime money laundering cryptocurrency uh, and wrote it up so it's published on his site as well and if you're not already you know signed up for that newsletter i would strongly recommend it uh just go there and you'll get crazy court records uh in your inbox every so often um let me let me just give some context of why this is important and then i'll explain a little bit about what actually happened so you guys have some uh you guys can jump in what this shows is that this is how 
serious criminals launder their Bitcoin outside of the ordinary exchanges like Coinbase or I know, Binance or FTX before it imploded, right? When you think of, oh, I have Bitcoin and I'm a criminal and I need to sell it, you could just go to Coinbase, make an account and then you know exchange it there. But that creates a bottleneck where there is a lot of, uh, let's say, avenue uh, for exploitation by law enforcement. They could get your IP address, they could get your passport or driver's license if you provided that because a lot of these exchanges have KYC or know your customer requirements, you know? Um, so the alternative is something like this, which is laid out in the court document, which is basically the way Jason described it uh, when he was helping me on it is an IRL Bitcoin exchange. Like you don't really go to a website, you arrange something over text and then you uh meet them and you you exchange uh you know bitcoin for cash and potentially you know the other way around uh, as well um let me just explain how it works exactly so there's a group of people and let's just call them the ring for for lack of a better way of pulling it right now and they would get a text message from their superiors such as be at this location at this time and there'll be a handover and a person would drive there they would arrive at the location and someone would hand them a bag you know and that could be hundreds of thousands of dollars easily in some crappy plastic bag um they then you know store it or they move it or whatever it is that's not their money that belongs to sort of the company it belongs to the ring overall all they're doing is is they're moving this cash around. Um, and according to the court records, this ring, its um, primary customers were drug traffickers and its most wealthy clients were hackers, which I found especially interesting, um, you know, given its nexus in New York. Of course, Bitcoin is an international way of transferring money. But if you're a criminal trying to do it properly, Physical cash has to exist somewhere. And in this case, it existed um, in New York. And I guess just the last thing I'll say about how it actually works before you know we move on to uh, maybe how the FBI got involved. There was a token system. And I don't really get into this into the piece too much. I just do it, I think, a paragraph or two. Um, but this is where when they're arranging the cash pickups or the cash drop-offs, they will text to the other person or via their third party the unique serial number on a dollar note or a $5 note or something. They look at it as a unique serial number. They take a note of that. They send it. Then when when the pickup happens, the person can flash that note. And it's basically like a one-time password. This way, you don't have to go, oh, hey, uh, Jerry. I'm supposed to meet be meeting Jerry to pick up all the money. <laughs> to do Jerry, man. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's the first name I came to. <laughs> to be Always clear, none of them were called shit. Jerry, but you know, uh, one of them was called Jay. But well, maybe we should just go with that. But um, you do this pickup and you flash that, and you don't have to exchange names. Yes, you'll see faces, of course, but it's like a, a verification method. And in this piece, I wrote that, you know, this is a very common tactic in money laundering. And I saw some crypto bros got really mad at that. It's like, whoa, 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 where are you saying that? It's like, dude, I have read 
tens of thousands of messages from money laundering rings as part of like my investigations into organized crime and you know past and forthcoming i've seen this token thing like a ton of times this is very normal uh but it shows you that okay this ring is interesting and maybe they were serving some unsavory characters joe so as you say you have covered a lot of online criminals be it hackers or drug dealers who you know communicate online or uh some of their operation is is digital as any business is these days a lot of that money is in cryptocurrency and we see cryptocurrency stolen we see people pay for crimes or pay for drugs in cryptocurrency there is a lot of cryptocurrency associated with illegal activity. And I guess we don't often talk about how people cash that out. And is this the only way? And when something like this goes down, do you have any idea of like the ripple effects it has on these criminals? Like how big of a deal is this? for the FBI to take one of these down. I think it's exceptionally rare for us to see inside one of these rings. And that is because it is pretty damn rare for the authorities to shut these down. Um, I mean, to give listeners a little bit of context, this is absolutely not in the story, but how I've come across these rings before is that law enforcement previously hacked or took over or otherwise shut down a bunch of encrypted phone companies for criminals. Uh, these are customized phones sold nearly exclusively to organized crime. There was EncroChat. There was Sky. There was Anom. I'm not going to go into the particulars about how all they were shut down or taken over, but basically it ended up with law enforcement gang an absolute motherload of messages. And from that, they've shut down massive cartels, super cartels, drug trafficking rings. And as I've seen by literally reading the messages themselves and, you know, obviously law enforcement's announcements, they've shut down money laundering rings that were very, very similar to this one. And I feel like we're only starting to see, as you say, the way that people cash out through crazy operations like that, or even smaller ones like this, where an informant was involved, or maybe we'll talk about in a minute. But this is almost tiny compared to like the overall uh, drug trafficking and, and cash out and money laundering um, industry. There are other ways to do it. Look, some criminals will use Coinbase or Binance or whatever. Maybe they will open an account with KYC under a false identity. Maybe somebody else will use uh, we'll, we'll set up the account and act sort of as the bottleneck, as the cash out guy. Uh, that's certainly the case in some of the in some of the criminal rings I've seen. So this IRL Bitcoin exchange is absolutely not the only way, but it is from what I've seen and read many times. This is like how the big boys do it. Like this is how the real people do it. Because if you're a serious drug trafficker, or even like a serious hacker. You don't want to go to Coinbase and make a completely like undeniable record of all your transactions on the blockchain. Like Bitcoin, yes, it's pseudo anonymous and it can create um 
fantastic privacy and security benefits like for these criminals. But for that to be effective, the cash out process has to be quote unquote off chain, which is cash in bags outside of New York Delhi. So how does the FBI get in the mix here? Yeah, so the FBI gets involved first because they actually spot that somebody is selling this service on a dark net market. They don't say who, but like they have a username across multiple dark web marketplaces that sell drugs, that sort of thing, and somebody's offering a cash out service. So the FBI, you know, starts investigating that. It doesn't really seem to get anywhere. That was back in 2021. Then last year, somebody is arrested because they've been sending packages and packages of cash from a post office in New York. Um, and it turns out it's a mem- an alleged member of this ring. So the FBI flips them and it's like, okay, we have this guy who's inside this ring. How do we then pivot off that? Well, as the as the uh, CI explains, confidential informant, I think they call it a CS actually in the document. But anyway, the informant explains, well, I have to go meet these people and they give me the cash and that sort of thing. So the FBI just tells them, well, continue doing that, but we're going to wire you up with a camera and we're going to have you go around. And, you know, he goes and he does that and he meets the people. He's recording with some sort of camera. All these photos are in the court records, which is just what makes it a fascinating document. You can go look at them yourself in the article. So he does that. And he only does it for like a few months, like early in the year to like September uh, this year, right? I think something like that. And he, the informant is given $15 million across that time in like crappy bags. I mean, maybe there were like some bigger shipments that aren't in the core records, but in all it's like, yeah, our informant moved $15 million, which is just staggering in and of itself to have an informant doing that. Um, but from there, it's pretty easy. It's like, well, we have photos of all of these guys who are doing like pre-sketch stuff. And then the FBI gets their phone records and it's, it shows them, well, this guy drove then to these other states and this person went to these states as well. So they believe that there were drop-offs or pickups at these um, locations as well. Uh, and, I, and I guess, you know, all I'll leave it at is that these people were... Uh, arrested i believe and you know they're charged with running and i think it was an unlicensed money exchange like it doesn't say specifically you're selling to drug traffickers like that's not that's not the charge or you're not selling to hackers it's like you're running an unlicensed money exchange in the same way you couldn't just like you know spin up your own like wire service i guess or or something like that you know so that's how they're getting uh and i do imagine that even if it's not this ring and maybe it's one in the future i can see them using rico against these sort of groups which is what they used to get the encrypted phone companies where they weren't criminal entities in themselves because they weren't really doing a crime like it's not a crime to sell an encrypted phone even to a criminal but they found a way under US law to treat it as a criminal entity um, in its own right, you know? That's crazy. It's crazy to like go to that length to not get caught with the cash in the bags and all this stuff, being very careful. And your guy who's moving your millions is an informant. It's like, 
I mean, I know we don't, we'll never have the answer to that, but it's like, did we not check him for the GoPro on his body? (laughs) (laughs) Wires exist. Like they just didn't check this guy out. I don't know. He must've been really good. Like I, and the temptation to take a little off the top would kill me personally. FBI don't listen to this. I'll never become an informant anyway, but (laughs) because I'm not slick enough, (laughs) but like, that's wild. And like, I mean the, you know, it's funny that the blockchain guys are like, well, the the passcode thing is crazy. It's like the blockchain mind cannot comprehend this. <laughs> like this is yes. why it's not truly anonymous is because the only thing that's really anonymous is cash. Yes. And it's always been the case. Well, that was some of the response from the crypto bros in my replies. They were like, uh, what are they actually trading? They're trading cash. Do you want to ban cash? It's like, dude, oh my God, what, what are you going on about, man? That was going to be my last question for <laughs> sure, Joe, sure. Um, which is why does he hate Bitcoin so much? But before <laughs> I get to that, um i want to make a prediction uh-huh. and joe give me feedback about this prediction but i think that it's just we've spent a few years reporting about um scams and hacks in bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies worth millions and millions of dollars there was a time there at um motherboard where our uh colleague lorenzo now a wonderful reporter at TechCrunch, just like every other day it's like 50 million 250 million 100k 200k of of stolen bitcoin and i predict that all this money of illegally obtained cryptocurrency is just floating around And it's like, it's time to cash out. Like, these people want to cash out. And as more people start to cash out, we're going to see more and more of this. And there's something kind of novel. I wouldn't say satisfying, but there's something kind of novel and... um, It's just like, we're reporting about these giant amounts, but it's all digital. And then you see these court documents. And like you say, it's just like, this is, this is where it all ends up. It's like plastic bags full of cash. And we need to see, there's like, there's way more reporting about missing cryptocurrency than there is visible <laughs> bags of cash. And those two like have to align. You know what I mean? So I, I predict that we, we will see a lot more of this. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think you're probably right. And as we're recording this, the, pi- the price of Bitcoin has actually gone up by i i don't know 20 20 percent something like that and the reason that's interesting is because um i think there's a twitter account called dark fail they're sort of a dark web researcher and they said they pointed out that you know darknet markets often exit scam as in run away for with everybody's bitcoins when the price goes up hey by the way the price is up by 25 percent or whatever today so you know maybe we'll see that and yeah that's going to result in more people cashing out um all right maybe maybe we'll leave that there but hey if anybody knows anything about irl bitcoin exchanges i'm really big on that and i'm actually trying to work on a story on that at the moment it's a little bit tricky but you know hopefully more on that in the future all right let me take us out. As a reminder, 404 Media is journalist founded and supported by subscribers. If you wish to subscribe to 404 Media and directly support our work, please go to 404media.co. You'll get unlimited access to our articles and an ad-free version of this podcast. Another way to support us is by leaving a five-star rating and a review. 
Here is one of those reviews from our friend, Lorenzo Franceschi Vicarai, that Emmanuel mentioned earlier. The journalists at 404 Media report and write stories that no one else is doing. I also love that they are giving listeners a behind-the-scenes look at the stories they write about. It's the only place you can hear about these stories because no one else is doing the same work they do. Thank you, Lorenzo. It still counts if it's a review from your friend. This has been Thanks, Ozo. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>